Ephesians chapter 1 this evening. Ephesians chapter 1. I began this series on the healthy church with an illustration of how we ordinarily think about church growth. I said that if we were to measure health in our bodies the way that we often measure health in the church, then the people who weighed the most in our country would be the healthiest people. But we have to understand that church growth is not measured primarily, that's the key word, primarily, by numbers. In other words, just because a church has 10,000 people in it does not make it a healthy church. Now, I need to qualify that. Um, first of all, we need to understand that God's blessing is not always seen in numbers. And then secondly, I need to qualify that by saying that that, that does not give us, us an excuse to not to seek to, to grow in numbers. But that is not our primary goal. And just because we are under 100 people does not mean that we're healthy either. We should not become complacent or lethargic in our responsibilities because, hey, we don't want to be big and unhealthy like them, so we will just uh, continue on as we please. We should never become complacent. But rather, we should have as our goal the advancement of the Gospel and that more and more people are growing to love and know the Scriptures and be a part of a body that, that does the same. And what I hoped you learned in this series is that our ultimate goal is not to increase the number of, our, of people who come to this church, that the size of the crowd is not the primary goal, but our primary goal is to glorify God by seeing believers grow in their, their love for the Scriptures, their knowledge of the Scripture, that our highest goal as an individual Christian and as a church is to know God. There's nothing greater that you can do in your life than to know God. And so that is what our goal as believers ought to be. You see, if we move away from the, what the Scriptures puts as our primary goal and even put something else in its place that may be a good thing like more people, wouldn't that be great if more people were worshiping with us? That is a good thing, right? But that's not the best thing. See, so if we put that as our primary goal and move what is best out of, it, out of its place, put this secondary goal, this good goal, but not what is best, then, then we will sacrifice what is best at the altar of what is good. Let me try to illustrate for you. If you follow college football, you know that one of the things that the NCAA committee is concerned about is about athletes who are honorable that they are student athletes and that they're obeying the rules of uh, that the NCAA sets down for for each team and each athlete athlete to excel in the classroom and obey what has been given to them. And so the NCAA is concerned about upstanding athletes and they see that as a good thing. But if you follow them closely enough, college football it is, you also know that that is not their primary goal. Their primary goal is not to see kids graduate, necessarily. Their primary goal is the bottom line, more money. They want to make sure that they're getting the max out of these kids. And so just recently, Cam Newton, the quarterback of the Auburn Tigers, was under investigation because his father had apparently um, required money in order for his kid 
his son to go to the to specific school, and uh, which is against the NCAA rules. Well, Cam Newton was suspended for several games, including the bowl game this 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 past uh, January. And it turns out that Auburn was in the championship bowl. Prior to that, they were in the the uh, SEC championship game. Very important games for that school. And what the NCAA recognized was that if they followed through on this suspension of this young boy, then it would it would uh, cut into their bottom line. That they wouldn't get as much TV revenue if you had some other school like Boise State or some other uh, smaller school than if you had a big SEC school compete in the national championship. And so they, one day later, renewed his eligibility. So while they had a good goal in mind, that is, they wanted to see they want to see student athletes, they want to see athletes graduate, but that's not their ultimate goal, is it? Their ultimate goal is the almighty dollar. And in the church, there are lots of good things that we can pursue in order to honor God. But if we put as our primary goal to get more people then we will do all sorts of things that are contrary to what the Scriptures say. They will be contrary to our purpose as a church. And so we need to set out for ourselves in front of us not to see more people because there's all sorts of ways that you can get more people to come into the church. But the primary thing is that we need to be honoring God by growing spiritually, individually, and as a group. That's the primary thing that, that we should have learned from this series. The essentials to a healthy church, I said, were at least four, and that is worship, instruction, fellowship, and evangelism. And then we followed up talking about those four things by taking several weeks to look at the structure of a healthy church that in order to be in good order as a church, according to the Scriptures, then we need to have the office of deacons, that we have to need to have men who are serving the church, the needs of the church, in order for the pastor to give himself to the preaching of the Word, and then we looked at the congregation, that the congregation needs to be committed to truth and upholding the truth, being serious about holiness. And, um, and then last week we looked at the importance of church membership, that there needs to be stark lines of distinction between believers and unbelievers. Between, um, and there also needs to be stark lines between members and, and non-members. So today what I'd like to do is to talk about how we get there. What is the path to a healthy church? We talked about a lot about what it looks like, what the structure is, but now how do we get there? And that's what we'll look at here in Ephesians chapter 1. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which is, exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What you see there at the beginning, verse 17, is that Paul's desire for them is that they grow in the knowledge of God, that they grow in the spirit of wisdom. And and at the end of verse 17, the revelation in the knowledge of Him. In verse 18, I pray that your your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of His calling. You see all this emphasis on spiritual knowledge. That's why I said earlier that the highest thing that we can do as a church is to know God more is to grow closer to Him and an understanding of what He desires. And so what we will see today is that a healthy church is a church that is committed to its Master. A healthy church is committed to its Master. And so if we want to head towards that pathway, if we want to be on that pathway towards a healthy church, then we need to be committed to our Master. And our Master, certainly at the end you see there, verse 22, He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body. This is where we get the language that we often refer to, the example or the analogy of the church being the body of Christ. That that Paul recognized that, that Christ so associated Himself with the church that, that it was like a head being connected to a body. And... Uh, and so this is what we see. We see all sorts of other imagery of Jesus being our master, the shepherd of the sheep, or the master builder, the cornerstone of the building, and so on. And so a healthy church is one that is conformed to what the master wants. It is committed to honoring Christ. I mean, what kind of employee would we be if we didn't care about what our, our boss wanted? Instead, we wanted to advance our own name. Maybe we worked at the Pepsi factory and and we say, you know what, I don't really care what the final product turns out to be. All that I care is is that, that there's a little bit more variety. You know, people like variety in their pops, so I'll just put a little bit different ingredients in this case of bottles and, and see what happens. See, that type of employee is not a very good one because he doesn't have his master's best interests in mind. And so my point is, is that the church must be run Christ's way. We may have all sorts of ideas of what would bring in more people, what would, would make a more vibrant group, what would, would really stir up the passion, but we've got to do it Christ's way. So we go to the Scriptures and we find out, okay, which way does God say that our passion is stirred up? Which way does God say that the churches are built? How does Christ want His church to be built? So we do it according to the Master. And then secondly, a healthy church is committed to operating according to His purpose. healthy church is committed to operating according to His purpose. And this is what I drew, I, I drew out at the beginning, the idea that we need to have a singular goal, a purpose of discipleship and growth in godliness. Suppose you are the owner of a grocery store and you hired a manager who had several years of experience in grocery business, and as the owner, you explained to him, this newly hired manager, that your primary purpose was to make sure 
that the customer is satisfied. There's two ways that you wanted to do that. Okay, you make sure that the pricing is clear on all the products. And secondly, make sure that they're, the time that they spend in the grocery store is a good one. That they have good service throughout their experience. But this manager that you hired in an effort to be shrewd decided that his primary goal was not to, to make sure that the customer was satisfied. Instead, he wanted to increase the bottom line. And so he decided to make labels on the shelves and, and for all the products, he put in fine print the actual price and it made it look like the, the product was a lower price. So they take it to the counter and they get rung up at a higher price. And most people, since they don't even look at their receipts or even watch the, the register as it goes, they would, they would be able to pocket a lot of money. And, and, and uh, he, fit, he, he also decided that Another way to cut costs and increase profit margins was, would be to cut some of the staff. So let's cut 10 people from the store, and that way we don't have to pay their salaries, their benefits, anything like that. And now we have a, we have a bigger profit margin. Well, what happens over time, as you can guess, is that, um, is that the customer base begins to dwindle because they feel like they're being cheated. They never know what the actual price is. They don't have good customer service, and and um, how do you respond as the owner? In what way would you would you talk to this man who came in here and did things his own way? See, as believers in Jesus Christ, as part of His body, His church, it is vitally important that we know what God's purpose is in the church and that we follow it. That we make God's purpose in the church our purpose. And we'll, we'll talk about what that purpose is here in a little while. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17 because now I want to answer the question. Okay, at first I said that a healthy church does it Christ's way and they're committed to His purpose. Now I want to answer the question, how do we get there? Deuteronomy chapter 17 Notice what Moses records for us that is a requirement of the coming kings. Deuteronomy 17, verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or, or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. What were the two things that were required of every coming king? Number one, he was supposed to copy the entire book of Moses. The five books of the law. The first five books of your Bible. Make a copy for yourself. Secondly, he was supposed to read it every day. Now, it's not clear if he was supposed to read the entire five books or if he was to read a portion of it every day. But the point is, he was supposed to make that the center of what he did. And so, the first way in which we get there, that is, 
on the pathway towards a healthy church is that we make the Word of God central in everything. We make the Word of God central in everything. This is what was commanded of the kings. This was continued through uh, Joshua. Turn to Joshua chapter 1, next book in the Bible. God gives a recipe for success to Joshua. And it's a different recipe than we would expect. Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you remember this time in Israel's history when Joshua was getting the people ready to take possession of the land of Israel, the land of Canaan? What kind of instructions did he give them before they they took on this task? Did he talk about tactical precision? Did he talk about military maneuvers that were indefensible? Make sure that we have enough weapons. If not, we need to develop some more. No, instead Joshua tells them that they need to remember the Word of God and that God can be trusted. You don't need all those military maneuvers. In fact, the very first battle that they were a part of, the Battle of Jericho, they didn't need any military prowess. It could have been done by the smallest of children. Simply walk around a wall, blow some trumpets, hit some pots together, and cry out for, the, for Joshua and for the Lord. That was it. You see, God's ways are not our ways. And the source of their strength and the reason that they would be able to possess the land was not in their own inward ability or their military strength. Now, God did use their military ability at some points throughout the conquest, but that was not the source of their power. That wasn't the reason that they won those battles. It was because of God. That God was the source of their strength. And and He wanted to show them that the source of His power was in His Word. that That if they would just meditate on it and trust in it because there were going to come times when He would tell them to do things that seemed a little silly. It seemed a little counterintuitive like walking around Jericho or like having all the men circumcised as soon as they got across the river. seems like that would be the most vulnerable thing that you could possibly cause these people in your camp to do. And yet, God does it. And that's why it's important for us to understand what the Word of God is because there will come times when God God tells us in His Word to do something that may not seem to make sense in a culture which is saying, go this way, go this way. And God's saying, no, I've got other plans for you. Go this way. You say, wait a second, I've seen all these other churches do do it this way and it's worked. But the test of whether or not uh, something is valid is not whether or not it's worked. That's 
that's very pragmatic. That is, we see the end results and we say that must be good. We must do that too. But rather, we need to understand that the means by which we do things have to come from the Scripture. And so that's why I say make the Word of God central in everything. It's amazing how closely God ties success, and I would say spiritual success, to trusting in His Word. Verses 7 and 8 again. He says, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. So where does our success come from? It comes from trusting in the Word of God. So we must make the Word of God central in what we do as a church. God's idea of success was echoed with Solomon when he was getting ready to put the temple together. First Chronicles 22 it says, Then you will have success if you, caref- if you are careful to observe the decrees and the laws of the Lord God gave Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. What is it about our future as a church that frightens you most? Is it that we'll have to close the doors at some point? Is it that we will not grow in size for the next 40 years? Is it that we won't have enough money in our budget to do what we want to do? Those things are valid concerns, but ultimately what we should be concerned about is that primary goal. The primary goal is to make sure that God's Word is honored, that people are growing in, in, in discipleship. And uh, we'll talk about that more here in a second. So, so make the Word of God central. And then secondly, how we get there, get a fresh view of God's greatness. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Get a fresh view of God's greatness or God's mercy. Is the mercy of God old news to you? Did it once ring in your heart with great melody and it, it, and it really touched you and now it doesn't? Get a fresh view of God's greatness. Here's where it comes from. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so we can go backwards in this passage and say, how are we proven acceptable with regard to the will of God, with regard to what God desires for us? How do we do that? Well, verse 2 at the beginning says, do not be conformed to the world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, why would we do that? Well, it's because at the end of verse 1, it says that we would offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul, why in the world would we give our bodies as a living sacrifice? That does not sound very very uh, comfortable. Sacrifices die. They're never in a situation where they're comfortable. Why would we want to give our bodies as a living sacrifice? 
beginning of the verse says tells us why. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. In other words, because of what God has done for us, when we recognize what God has done for us, when we recognize God's greatness and His mercy that's been poured upon us, then we will be willing to do the second part of that verse. Offer our bodies as living sacrifice. Well, where does God's mercy show up in our lives, we could ask. And Paul would say, chapters 1 through 11. Chapter 1, you were hostile towards God. You were His enemy. You were estranged from God. You were deserving of His wrath. And then it moves into chapter 5. Uh, chapter 3, we know that, that uh, all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Chapter 5 says that we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 8 that, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are, on, who are in Christ Jesus. See, we have new life in Christ. And when we recognize where we were and where we are now as a result of what Christ did, that there, chapters 1-11, through 11, that's the mercies of God. Has that happened to you? Have you seen the mercies of God? Do you continually see it? Do you recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, that you are nothing and that you are damned to an eternal hell apart from Him. If you don't regularly think about that and think about where you are now in light of God's mercy, then it will be hard for you to be willing to give your body as a living sacrifice. To be willing to give it up and to serve others, even at the greatest cost. So get a fresh view of God's greatness. Make the Word of God central Get a fresh, a fresh view of God's greatness. And then thirdly, get a fresh view of God's purpose. We know that the purpose of all things is to bring honor and glory to God. Romans 11.36 says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We do it to honor God. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are You, our Lord and our God, for You have created all things, and by Your will they were created and do exist. That, that all of creation is working to a place where they're glorifying God. So we need to be a part of that glory or part of that uh, uh, of magnifying of God's glory within the church. So how do we do that? Well, in the first week we looked at Matthew 28. And you don't have to turn there, but 28 verses 18 through 20. We do it by making disciples who are being baptized and being taught everything that the Scriptures have commanded uh, us as disciples. That we as a group are growing as uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. So get a fresh view of God's purpose. That He is working to glorify Himself as disciples are growing in their knowledge and love for Christ. Fourthly, we need to get a fresh view of God's promises. A fresh view of God's promises. There are lots of promises for us in the New Testament as believers. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says to the disciples, Lo, I am with you even till the end of the age. I am with you always. There's never a time when I'm not with you. Jesus says while He's on the earth, 
when I leave, the Comforter will come. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and, and, and live within us. Hebrews 13.5, I will never desert you nor forsake you. There will never be a time when I go on vacation or take a nap or just give up on you. I'll always be there for you. And so we have this promise of God's nearness. We also have a promise in Isaiah chapter 55 that His Word will accomplish what is set out to do. And I think this is a timeless principle that we can also accept as truth. That, that as the, the snow falls from heaven and as the rain comes, so does My Word fall and, and it accomplishes what it's set out to do. So we have God's presence. We have God's power in the Word. And then we have God's person, Jesus Christ. Remember Matthew 16, 18? He says to Peter, Upon this rock I will build My church. I will cause the growth in the church. Like that that illustration I've been bringing up over and over again, the, the gardening idea, that we cultivate growth and godliness, but ultimately Jesus Christ is going to bring the growth. That He is going to bring the, the growth. And when I say growth, I mean spiritual growth. So get a fresh view of God's promises. And then fifthly, get a fresh view of God's means. That is, the way in which He accomplishes what He has set out to do. He has set out to glorify Himself through the church. Okay, As people are growing in godliness. So how does this happen? Many people adopt the wrong m- mindset that you know we only need the Word of God just for salvation. I'm so glad that the Word came to me and we recognize that. But, but that's all we needed it for, was for salvation. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we also need the Word of God to help us to grow. We need the Word of God to help sanctify us, to change us. It's not just meant for other people. And so that means that regular, patterned, spiritual growth comes through the normal course of having the Word of God exposed to us. There's lots of ways that the Word can be exposed to us. Okay, When you come under the hearing of, of preaching that, that, that finds its source in the Scripture, then you have the Word exposed to you in that setting. When you come to a a setting where the Bible is being taught, then that's when the Word of God is being exposed to you. When you read the Word for yourself, the Bible is being exposed to you. When you think and meditate on Scripture, when you sing songs that are based on the Scripture, the Word of God is being exposed to you. So I would suggest to you that you need to step into the light of God's Word. Don't be afraid of the light. Allow it to shine on you and and point out all the imperfections. Come to the church where the church is, uh, where the Bible is often exposed. Come to church as often as the doors are open. Do you believe that you need the Word of God, or is that simply something for someone else? Is that something you needed before, but now you need to show other people that they need the Word of God? Or do you recognize that you need the Word of God, that I need the Word of God? See, we constantly need it in order for us to be changed into the image of Christ. Get a fresh view of God's means. And then finally, we need to get a fresh view. uh, Excuse me, we need to trust God to bring the growth. We need to trust God to bring the growth. 
We cultivate the garden, but God's the one who causes the increase. And in the end, we can't say, look at how much water I put on it. I put the perfect amount on. Look how much sunlight I allowed to come onto the plant. Look at how I tilled the ground and, and make sure that there, there were no weeds. That was all me. In the end, all we can say is, what an amazing God to allow that growth to happen. God gets the glory. So we must trust God to bring the growth. But, you know, trusting in God to bring the growth requires patience, doesn't it? In your own spiritual life, it requires patience. In our church, it requires patience. God does work powerfully in people, but He also often works slowly. And there's a reason why some churches do whatever they can to get people into the church. Because they can't wait on God anymore. He's just taken way too long. I mean, we've been sitting here for years and years and yet nothing's happening. So let's, let's make it happen. Clayton told me about a time when he was taking a walk on a Sunday afternoon and a, a man from a church came up to him and gave him a flyer and he invited him to some event. And one of the things that they were giving away was an iPod if he would come to this event. And I think they were giving away several other gifts as well. If you would just simply come to this event. You see, that type of church can build a crowd. But what we need to recognize is that that is not our goal. Our goal is not to build a crowd. There's lots of ways we can build a crowd. We can actually give people money to come to church or iPods or whatever so that they would come to church and they would come as long as you kept giving them things. Didn't Jesus recognize that as He had all these followers? When He was doing the miracles, when He was feeding them, they'd be happy to follow Him. But then Jesus exposed him and said, the only reason that you're coming is because you saw the signs and you saw and you got your, your bellies fed. That was it. But now that you're starting to hear the truth, you're not willing to stay. See, we can build crowds lots of different ways, but that's not what we're trying to do here. That is not what God is trying to do here. He's working to build His church. And that requires spiritual growth in each one of us. The recognition that we need the Word. We need God. And that we need uh, to trust in Him. So that means we need to be patient with God. That His timetable is not always our timetable. That does not mean, however, that we are to be passive. Well, God's going to cause the growth, so I'll just let that garden sit. All those weeds there, fine. The shade that's, that's taken away all of its sun, fine. That doesn't mean that we're passive. We still work. We still work hard and accomplish His purposes or allow Him to accomplish His purposes through us, but that... But, but often waiting in the Scripture, waiting is often connected with praying. Did you ever notice that? That when Jesus was on the mountain, on the mountain or, or near Gethsemane there, near the Mount of Olives, he's, He told His disciples, watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Before that, He had said, simply wait here. And I think the idea was that you need to be waiting on God and expect Him to do something, but that requires prayer. When Jesus had ascended into heaven, 
after the 40 days, the believers there in Jerusalem were to suppose, they were supposed to wait on the Spirit who, who was to fall on them. And what do we find them doing during those 10 days? They're meeting together in the upper room praying. And so waiting and praying are often joined together in Scripture. And, and that requires a deep dependence upon God. It doesn't mean a passiveness where we just sit back and say, okay, God, where are you? It's all your fault that this is happening. No, we call on Him and say, God, don't you desire for your name to be known in our midst? Then do it. Okay, we do it. We, we ask for Him to do it in a reverent way that, God, that you would cause the growth so that your name would be honored. So we trust in God to cause the growth. And that requires patience. And patience requires fervent prayer. Spiritual success in this church will never be measured by God by the number of people that come on a given Sunday. That is not how God is going to determine whether our church was faithful to Him or not. It will, he will never measure our success based on the number of programs we have or the size of our missions budget it's interesting that in the New Testament, you, you don't see a whole lot of emphasis on church growth. Okay, you have a couple spots in Acts, but, but the primary emphasis in the New Testament is on gospel growth. And that is not that simply people are accepting the gospel. Yes, unbelievers should be coming to Christ through the gospel. But it's also the gospel taking hold of believers, helping them to recognize that, that, that I need God and this gospel needs to continue to change me. See, the type of growth that God is looking for is not in structures, it's not in programs, it's in people. That's the type of growth He's looking for. He's looking for spiritual growth in you and in me. We can't, we can't cultivate growth in people who are not here. So we work hard to help cultivate growth in people who are here. And that means that we look out for the needs of other people, see where they seem to be falling, see where they seem to be falling short in their understanding of the Scriptures. We help come alongside them and say, I'm praying for you. Or, you know, what you're doing is not consistent with what the Scriptures say. And when we make this as our goal, that is spiritual growth, discipleship, then what will happen is, is the passion will begin to spread. We will have great delight in what we do. That unbelievers will be converted to Jesus Christ because we can't help but talk about Him when we're in our own spheres of influence on our own. Believers will become more mature spiritually. You see, we're not missing any programs. We're not missing any uh, classes that would keep us from honoring God now. God's not looking for 10% uh, uh, more people in order for us to be successful. He's simply looking for spiritual growth. Now, that doesn't mean that we neglect ministry opportunities that we have set up. That doesn't mean we neglect to reach out to other people and it's just us four no more. 
It means we focus our attention on the Word of God, get a fresh view of His greatness, His purpose, His means, trust in Him for the growth, be patient with Him, fervently pray for Him to change our hearts and to continually do so, to help us to find our foundation and our strength, the source of our strength in the Word of God. When we focus on the Word, our compassion for the lost will grow. When we focus on the Word, we will desire more deeply to bear one another's burdens. We will stop looking at all of our own problems primarily and we'll start looking at other people's. We'll see how we can come along and help them in this journey, in this trial that they're going through. And you see, when we are showing love to other believers... That is one of the ways that we display that we actually love God. And it's one of the ways that we display to unbelievers that God is great. That God's glory is real. And it's the best thing going. When they see other believers loving other believers, when they see believers loving other believers, they're amazed at it and they glorify God in heaven. Why? Because that's not natural. To show genuine love to people who you otherwise would not have any relationship with. That's what happens in a church that is honoring to God. And that is what we need to be continually pursuing. There will never come a time when we say, okay, we've arrived. We're healthy. Okay, we're always pursuing health as a church. We're always pursuing more and more conformity to the Scriptures. And so we need to think about that as a congregation. What is the next step that we need to take? Where do we need to go from here? What do we need to be doing individually? How can we be supporting the work of the ministry? How can we be supporting people building up the body of Christ? And I think if we make God's goal for the church, Christ's goal for the church, our goal for the church then we will see God honored in the way that He wants to be honored. And we will have contentment in it. That we will, as we just sang, that we will rejoice in the Lord no matter what comes our way. So let's bow together for prayer and ask God's grace as we seek to honor Him in this way. Father, I thank You for the commitment of these people here, who many of whom who have been here for years and who have contributed faithfully to the work of the ministry and who have maintained sound doctrine in order for us to be in the place in which we are. Lord, I am so thankful that we don't have to stand up and, and expose error uh, of, of things that we've been believing for years, but, but that that the truth can be continually preached from the Word. And I pray that You would uphold me and these people here in the congregation, that each of us would be concerned about sound doctrine, that we would be concerned about being the pillar and support of the truth, and that we would not give in to complacency, that we would never think that because You are in control, we simply just sit back and watch but rather that we do what You've required of us to grow in our knowledge and love for You as You have revealed Yourself to us in Your Word. 
and that we would become more and more faithful to what You've called us to do within this church. To show our love for each other. To be eliminating sin in our own lives. To be eliminating sin within our midst. And that we would be so desirous to see Christ honored. That we would be willing to give up all the things of this world. The, the free time that we have. Be willing to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is just a reasonable thing that we can do, as Paul says there. Why? Because You have been so merciful to us by sending Jesus Christ, our Savior, to allow us to be freed from the bondage of sin and to be freed from the condemnation that we deserved. And now, because of Jesus Christ, we can have peace with You through Him. Give us the grace to think about these things in light of what Your Word says and be able to apply them to our lives and to specific situations that we come uh, across throughout the week and, and, and each service that we attend. May we individually be more committed to this church and that we would regularly pray for it and for its spiritual growth and well-being and that we would not have a... Um, pragmatic approach to the church, but that we would desire to see You glorified as You are changing believers to be more like Jesus Christ. Lord, we all need Your grace in this. And so we pray for it. We beg You for it. And we will give You the praise for it. And we pray all these things in the name of our Savior who bought us with His own blood. Amen.